So we're continuing today our Grace Upon Grace series, which may be a little confusing, but it's six chapters, but each chapter is going to be two Sunday morning 40-minute sessions in our Sunday school hour. So the theme verse for the series is for all, for of his fullness, that's of course Christ, he's talking about in John chapter 1, verse 16 and 17, for of Christ's fullness we have all received and grace upon grace. That's where the title of the series comes from, Grace Upon Grace. For the law was given through Moses, grace and truth were realized through Jesus Christ. Uh, this, this is chapter 2. You'll recall in chapter 1, we talked a, a lot about that verse and how uh, grace and truth being realized through Jesus Christ uh, it, in the Greek is not juxtaposing them against each other, but grace and truth is the basis of what everything God did through Moses, and even more grace and truth came upon and was heaped upon and grew upon the people of God and, and was revealed in Jesus Christ. So today we're going to move on to chapter 2, Grace Plus Theologies. Now I have uh, three subtitles for Grace Plus Theologies, and you can during the uh, coffee and uh, snacks after church today you can... Uh, Give me your opinion as to which one might be the best one, but uh, if you have an opinion on it. The first one is Sola Gracia, which was, of course, one of the five solas of the Reformation. You may recall John Weiss's uh, series that he did on the five solas of the Reformation. Uh, they are listed in seed form on our website. Uh, the second one is O Foolish Galatians. Uh, that's, of course, from Galatians chapter 3, the beginning. And uh, from J Galatians chapter 5, a little leaven leavens the whole lump. So you can choose between those three subtitles, but all of those point back to the phrase grace plus theologies. Uh, now, just a quick overview again of the series is we're, three weeks we're going to reexamine grace because grace, uh, unfortunately, is a very misunderstood concept in our culture today. Most people's definition of grace is maybe around 20% of what grace is. They have a correct definition, but it needs a lot of filling in and, uh, and additional missing thoughts and, and ideas added to it. Uh, to, and so grace is being reexamined for three chapters. And then we're going to talk about how God delivers grace to us. Grace is something we grow in. Grace is something that continues to come to us. Uh, God doesn't shut off his grace and, and, uh, and we don't get saved by grace and some sort of salvation, some sort of, uh, regeneration experience only. Uh, we, we get saved by grace. Uh, we have been saved by grace. We were being saved by grace and we will be saved by grace. And we need grace as an ongoing deposit and a growing thing in our life. And grace is first and foremost, the person of Jesus Christ. So how does Jesus comes to us through a, a, a delivery system of the word of his grace, the spirit of his grace, and the people of his grace. And so we're going to look at an introduction to those three su subjects in this series. Last week, we defined grace and gave seven definitions of it. On your outline there, there are uh, actually five condensed into four points of the seven points we made. Grace is unmerited favor. That's the most popular uh, definition today, undeserved favor. However, uh, it, that definition is very true, but very incomplete. Uh, that would be a little bit like if I were going to, to introduce you to, um, say, uh, the Trimbach family, and I introduced you to the wonderful Trimbach named Rebecca, uh, 
but I forgot all the other Trimbox. Now that would be a truly introducing you to a part of the Trimbox family. There's there were, that wouldn't be wrong, but that wouldn't be really the whole Trimbox family, and we'd be missing a great deal uh, in the process. So, um, hopefully that make that analogy makes sense to you. And uh, grace is is secondly divine enablement. Grace. Uh, changes our attitudes. Grace changes our motivations. Grace gives us power to put to death sin and to live to righteousness. Grace allows us to posture our lives every day in Galatians 2.20. It's no longer I who live, but Christ who lives through me and in me and with me. <laughs> and uh, um, in the, the life I live in this body or this the, in the flesh in this life I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and delivered me himself up for me. Grace allows us to, to, to be transformed, equipped, empowered to bring glory to God by doing his will. Jesus said, I, I brought glory to you, Father, by accomplishing the work that you sent me to for. If you want to know, like, how can my life glorify God? You're having a wonderful time with God. You're reading the word or you're worshiping. And, Lord, I just want to glorify you. Uh, the way you do that is to accomplish the work that he sent you for. So, of course, being very clear about who you're supposed to do the work with and what you're supposed to do and so forth is is uh, a part of growing in grace. So wish I wish he showed us the whole picture uh, day one of our conversion. Normally, he does show you quite a bit, though. He caught, like, if you study conversion in the Bible, you know, he calls, follow me, and you'll be a fisher of men. He showed Paul that he was going to be an apostle to the Gentile. When God does convert you in, in a real biblical sense, you should have a sense of calling and destiny, and that should include incorporation into a body of people that has a purpose and destiny. Uh, moving on, grace is covenant relationship. That's kind of combining two. We said we talked about grace is covenant and grace is relational. Again, grace is in Jesus Christ, so it's something we grow in. And we grow by coming to know him. They shall all know me is the promise of the new covenant, the, the, a doctrine called the priesthood of all believers. Um, grace, the uh, slogan we had uh, for a number of years in this church, it sums up the three points I've already made, acceptance as you are, empowerment to grow. From God's perspective, thinking from God's point of view, God accepts you in Jesus Christ where you are, grafts you into the body of Christ, convicting you of sins, drawing you to Christ, granting you repentance, giving you a new spirit, regeneration, a new heart, new desires to know God and to please God. And he begins a sanctification process that will last the rest of this life. And, uh, um, you know, he, that's, all by, that's all by grace. He accepts you as you are, and then he begins to equip you, empower you, enable you, motivate you, change your heart, change. He creates in you a clean heart, and he renews a steadfast spirit within you, Psalm 51. That is grace. What the church should be about doing, what, what you encounter all the time in, our, in, in the world today, which is it just breaks your heart when you see these things. John 10, Jesus said, I came that they might have life and have it more abundantly. Uh, but the thief comes only to kill and rob and destroy. Most churches haven't helped people learn how to have their life abundantly. They haven't learned in sanctification 
You get healed from your wounds. You get delivered from your bondages. You get set free to be like Christ. Uh, you walk, like the psalmist said, I will walk in a wide place or at liberty because your, your commandment, because I love your commandments and so forth. Psalm 119. Um, so grace in grace empowers you. But what happens where, what, where the process gets aborted in our day and age is that people don't understand that Jesus Christ comes to you through delivery systems. And those delivery systems have to be re-examined. There are, there are spiritual warfare keeping you from having the full impact of the Word of God in your life. There is spiritual warfare trying to keep you from having the full impact of the Holy Spirit in your life. And there is spiritual warfare trying to get you to underestimate, under-evaluate, and underutilize utilize uh, the church and underserve in the church. It's not just about what the church will do for you. Part of how you get set free is about what you can do for Christ and his church. And so as you, as you uh, grow in these delivery systems, you, you begin to enter uh, the life you were created for in the, in the first place. And you, you start to live a life in harmony with who you were created to be. And as such, your life becomes much more abundant. All right, so then we also looked at the importance of grace. Good, I'm on schedule here. Uh, just checking the clock here because I have kind of mapped these things out in a little schedule. The importance of grace, we looked at, at a central theme of all Scripture. Uh, even the Old Testament, Some of our uh, that's why we have some of our theme verses. If you look up in Roman numeral 1, I didn't print them all the way out like this week, but Deuteronomy, Exodus, it lists a couple verses. Uh, we could pick hundreds of verses, but, but no one was ever saved by doing the works of the law, as we'll see today. And no one ever earned God's favor. Uh, God chose them despite all sorts of things. We could add a lot of things after the list, despite God chose them, not because they were more in number or talent or more deserving, nothing. He just chose us to, he says, I'll put my favor on that one. And he says that from all eternity. It's in that beautiful. It's grace should cause us to have great. Uh, if we really get a hold of grace, we'll have great security in ourselves. We will overcome all inner fears, insecurities, uh, those kinds of things. Grace is what sets us free. So, um, grace, of course, is realized in Jesus. We made that point. He's the fountain of it, the fullness of it, the essence of grace. It's grace is all about Jesus. Now. We have mentioned also that the critical issue of the Reformation was sola gratia, and that's one of the subtitles today. And today what we're going to look at is why is this idea of grace alone such a very big deal? And in fact, uh, hopefully by the time I'm done today and, and next Sunday, because it's a two-parter probably, um, hopefully by the time I get through this, you're going to have a whole new appreciation for the fact that actually uh, we, what we tend to think of is the evils of this world. Uh, we don't tend to include this subject in there. But one of the greatest evils of the sinful nature of the satanic kingdom, of the world system, is a wrong approach to grace. Great, a wrong approach to grace is, in fact, a very wicked thing. And I hope to convince you of that by the end of uh, It's not just a matter of ignorance. It's a matter of deception, and it's a matter of, of causing people to be blind and blindly destroyed unnecessarily. Uh, the wrong view of grace 
will keep you from growing in Christ and keep you away from Christ. The right view of grace will keep you filled with the Spirit of Christ and growing in Christ all, all your days. So let's look at five approaches to grace and how to detect them. Um, that's actually uh, how to detect them is, is going to be point uh, six. I meant to actually, I reorganized that. I meant to crash that last phrase out, but somehow I missed that. How to detect them is supposed to be Roman numeral six. But point five, we're going to look at grace plus theologies. Now, four of these approaches are the wrong approach. We'll just say that from the beginning. The first four are the wrong approach. The fifth one is grace upon grace or growing in grace and is the correct approach. And it'll make more sense when we get to it if we put that last. The first one is uh, very popular. It's the one Paul is talking about in Romans 10 when he addresses and when he talks about the Jews of his day and how his heart's desire and prayer for them is for their salvation. Uh, And it's the idea of works plus nothing. We're going to look at grace plus today, but the first one is the most common one in the world. And in fact, it's the basis of all pagan religions. All non-Judeo-Christian religions are based on works plus nothing. They're based on trying to make yourself better. It's no, uh, it's interesting that modern man pats himself on the back, struts around in his pride and says, oh, how I've, I've, grown from the superstitions of the ancients when they uh, tried to perfect themselves through various demons and deities and gods and and totem poles and so forth. But in fact, uh, all they did as they they traded in secular humanistic psychology is is, uh, stay, stay at the same place. The God has become man's mind and man's point of view and man's reason, just like Genesis 3, you shall be as God, determining for yourself good and evil, just like the ancient Greeks, Protagoras of Abdera, man is the measure of all things. And it's man trying to help himself. In fact, uh, if you want to see an amazing genre of books, go on Amazon or go just go on Google and look for books that, uh, that have to do with improving yourself by yourself, for yourself. <laughs> you know, it's, you, you could not even read all the titles of such books uh, in the next year or two. It's, 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 a, it's a billions of dollar industry to perfect ourselves. It works plus theologies. Paul uh, have the attitude or the idea that performance or works, my self-initiative perfections, produce favor with God produce acceptability, produce grace. Part of grace is, remember, unmerited favor, acceptance. Uh, so it's the idea that I've got to do something to be, to be acceptable. And again, if you really study the heart of all pagan religions, even secular humanism, that's the heart of it right there. I want, I, by, I'm going to pull myself up from the, my own bootstraps and make myself better. Good luck with that. Uh, Romans 10, 1 through 4, Paul is talking about this. And he says, Brethren, my heart's desire and prayer to God for Israel is that they may be saved. For I bear them witness that they have a zeal for God. They're hungry for God. They, they go to church. They go to synagogue. They even read, their, they re- read the scriptures. They say prayers over dinner. 
they celebrate Passover or what ha or have you. Or as Christians, they go go to church on Easter and Christmas and things. Uh, maybe more. My, they have a zeal for God, but not according to knowledge. For being ignorant of, some translations say not knowing about, compare, compare your ESVs and your New American Standards, being ignorant of or not knowing about, that's kind of a negative and positive, you know, remember the, the law of reading the reverse negative, the, the, one is stating it positively, you don't know about it, or the other is more the negative, you're ignorant of it. Uh, not knowing about God's righteousness, and listen to this phrase, seeking to establish their own righteousness. Now, I chose the New King James Version there because they add the word righteousness twice because it, uh, Paul is in the Greek, it's there once, but it but that's what he's talking about. He's it's a good translation, it's, it's dynamic equivalence, it's correct. He's saying, um, not knowing about God's righteousness, they seek to establish their own, which means their own righteousness. The uh, NASB and ESV leave off the second righteousness, but it's implied in the structure. So have, uh, is seeking to establish their own righteousness, they have not submitted to, that's a key phrase, the righteousness of God. For Christ is the end of the law for righteousness to everyone who believes. Now, um, Christ is the end of the law. Let's start with that phrase there. The Greek word there is telos or telos. And we get the, the subject of, of um, philosophy called teleology from that. And if you study philosophy, you'll study teleology. Emily, did you ever study teleology? Anybody ever study a little teleology? You did? Said Teleology is the idea that... Uh, of the, the goal, the fulfillment, that there's uh, in the way things are created, they're heading toward a purpose and a goal uh, that's found at the end. Uh, it's, the, it's, it's why Adam was created a mature man in the Bible. He was, you know, modern psychology man finds his identity in all the things that went wrong in his childhood. My mother bit me when I was five and so forth. Biblical psychology, you find your identity in your, in your maturity in Christ. Adam was created without sin as a mature man, and Christ, the second Adam, came to restore us to that. And that, as a Christian, is the identity we're, that, that is, is um, controlling us. We're not, we're, not, we're not subject to all the things that went wrong before we became a new creation. They may have secondary implications and effects on us and so forth, but we are our destiny, our purpose, our telos, our goal the end, the end product, God sees the end from the beginning. That's why 2 Corinthians 5, talking about these things, says we recognize no man according to the flesh anymore. One of the things that's a very important skill in being a brother and sister in Christ uh, and, and being effective in ministering to one another is to see that person as God is making them. To see them in their healedness, in their perfectedness, in their when they're as they are when they're equipped to see them in their ministry when they can't believe God's called you to be this or that minister or this or that uh, purpose or identity or so forth to begin to speak it to them and I'm not talking about mumbo-jumbo faith message or whatever I'm talking about especially that's the whole purpose of spiritual fathers in the church the reason there's elders a father tells you who you were created to be 
and, and helps you to believe for a bigger vision of God and what can be accomplished. A father says, you're much more important in this whole scheme of things to God than you think you are. And it's not because you've got anything innate in yourself. It's because of his chosen purpose and grace. This is your destiny. When when you read Genesis 49 and 50 and you see um, I, Isaac uh, prophesying over uh, the, uh, or I'm sorry, Jacob prophesying over the 12 tr- tribes of Israel. He speaks uh, of things that God is going to do through each one of them for the generations to come. And if you, if you care to study uh, Genesis starting about verse or chapter 12 through 50, one of the things to look for is look for Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob speaking prophetic destiny into each of their, into all of their children. That's grace. Christ is the goal. He's the end. He's the accomplishment. The goal of the law, Paul says in Romans, is that the law perfectly represents God's righteousness and truth. Jesus said, I didn't come to abolish the law. I came to fulfill it, most translations say, but that's really weak compared to what the Greek really means. I came to put it into force. I came to accomplish it for you. I came to write it on your inner heart and your inner desires. They will all know me from the least to the greatest, and, and they, uh, they will want to please me. And they, 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 their inner motivations and attitudes will be recreated as in, in Christ. And, that, and they will be in perfect correlation to the law because Christ is the end. He's the telos of the law. Uh, that's, it's unfortunate, in my opinion, that almost all English translations translate that word end that it should almost be required that there be like a paragraph of commentary there or something, because it it's not just, it, it's just a word we gloss over, but it's a huge word. Three letters, but in the Greek, four. <laughs> but it, it's huge concept, even though it's only four letters, tell us. it uh, Christ is the fulfillment of the law. He Grace and truth were realized in Jesus Christ, and the law is truth. Isn't that it's it's exciting? Like that's your destiny. Your destiny is that you'll you you know uh, someday before John chapter First uh, John chapter three says that we know that when we see him we will be like him. That means you won't struggle with lust anymore. You won't struggle with with laziness anymore. You won't struggle with selfish ambition anymore. You won't struggle with being a know it all anymore. You won't even know me anymore. No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> you know, uh, you know, the, you know it, it doesn't it seem like these things are these things are our constant have to go to cr- the cross and let Christ live through us because if we bring forth our own fruit, we're we're all those things, right? We're selfish ambition, we're we're too opinionated, we're we're too harsh in situations. We're grace. We need it every minute of every day. It's not this is not something that we do it an altar call. This is something we do. Uh, you know, that's p- the part of the whole reason. Uh, a person who's who's uh, consistent with spiritual disciplines is simply just a person who sees no longer th- th- sees the futility of trusting in their own righteousness. Sees that this first point is the wrong approach. Works plus nothing. Performance for trying to produce favor. I can't do it. I couldn't, not only could I not produce fruit, I couldn't produce a raisin, let alone a grape. 
I, you know, we'd have to change the song to there's a dampness of life flowing. And, you know, we couldn't sing about any rivers of life or anything. It'd be like, well, there's a little damp. And then someone would say, not really, you liar. <laughs> you know, that would be overstated. There's just a desert of death that comes forth from our own initiative. Christ is the goal. Not, and then the phrase, not knowing about God's righteousness. I'm, I'm sad to say, but I believe this would be accurate. I don't have statistics, and you could study Barner and all the people who study church trend. But I believe that the majority of church-going people today are in this exact place. Uh, they, uh, in fact, you'll hear this all the time. You need a little churching up, <laughs> you know, or you you need to get back to church. And you know, I we even do it instinctively. Yesterday, I was, you know, was talking with somebody. Uh, about a young man that we knew years ago, and he's had some troubles and different things, and and uh, brother was saying he's doing much better, and I, and I, first thing I said was, oh, has he quit doing drugs and sleeping around and having sex and and stealing cars and this sort of thing? Well, that may be an indication that he's doing better if he's if he's got set free of all those things. In fact, grace would lead to that, but you could stop doing all those things and not necessarily experience grace at all. He might not be doing any better in, in terms of his relationship with God. He might be less self-destructive in a temporary sense. Does that make sense? But the truth of the matter is, if, he has, if he's not getting a hold of God and God getting a hold of him, more importantly, God taking the initiative to get a hold of him and sanctify him and, and, and falling in love with God and walking by grace, then though the outward things are just outward things. There's lots of people who live, uh, on a, if you don't really delve into the spirit and attitude of the commandments, like, you know, uh, don't commit adultery includes not even lusting and all that kind of stuff. There's lots of people who, who seemingly live pretty good lives. We even say that in, in social convention, you know, oh, he's a good guy. Really? <laughs> Thank God we don't know what's in his heart. But because <laughs> it's probably just as bad as mine. <laughs> and I, and I, you don't want to go there. So, uh, you know, um, that's really where most, most people who are going to church are trying to, to earn favor with God. And that's worthless. Uh, seeking to establish their own righteousness is kind of what we're talking about. Performance, works. The, the key, the, something that might help you, because you have to chase this down in your heart every day. You grow in grace and you grow out of performance. Perform, trying to perform and trying to establish our righteousness before God ourselves is the essence of the fallen nature. That's the bottom line of what the fallen nature wants to do. And every day you have to, the axe has to be laid to the root, as John the Baptist said. You've got to give up that root. Every day you have to clothe yourself with Christ. Every hour, every minute. So the, one of the keys that will help you chase this down as you study, you know, and I would encourage you to, to read Paul's epistles over and over as you're chasing this down, and, and then go back and as you read the Gospels, see Jesus is just personifying this. Everything that Paul talks about in grace, Jesus demonstrates in who he is in the Gospels. And then uh, and they, they complement each other, of course, perfectly because they're the Word of God. But uh, is the, a key that will help us is the, looking at the difference between our initiative 
and God's initiative. True understanding of faith, grace, righteousness, uh, and every other aspect of how what it means to, to be in Christ uh, is initiated by God. If you look at sola fide, sola gracia, sola Christos, it's all initiated by God. Sola scripture, who gave us the scriptures, who protected them through the centuries. Now, what happens is, because of not knowing about God's righteousness and because of an inner desire, which is part of this, the, the evilness of the flesh, to establish our own righteousness, they have not submitted to God's righteousness. Now, I, there's a lot of this that goes on in the church. In fact, it's the spirit of TV Christianity. You know, it's, I, you know I'm, I'm cool because I got this big ministry or what. You know, there's a lot of big ministries that are just wicked, just very wicked. Because if it's, it's not about anything that would give glory to you. See, the reason, and here's, here's, the, here's the reason why people don't want to embrace this message. It's what the Bible calls the offense of the cross, the stumbling block of the gospel. Over and over it uses that word in, in uh, scandalizo, which it refers to actually a, a, a kind of trap where an animal gets trapped into it. The trap is you're trying to please God, uh, but you're doing it on your own initiative. And call, Paul talks about how he used to do that in Philippians 3, and he lists all of his credentials. They're impressive. Of born of the tribe of Benjamin, you know, a Pharisee of Pharisees, a Hebrew of Hebrews, trained by Gamaliel, and so forth. And he says they're all rubbish. Now, the English translations mostly, except the King James says dung, because the word scubalon there means shit. It means the, the gooey, crappy stuff. It's not the scientific, polite term. Hopefully you would say, if you're talking to Andrew or Rebecca, you'd say poo-poo. Or, or if you're talking to a, you know, a scientific person like Sydney, you might say feces or something. But Paul, you know, Paul doesn't want to take you there. What he wants to take you there is to that experience after on a hot day, you just stepped in a big pile of it. And then you're like, oh, my God. God, that's so disgusting, you know, and you're, you, you know, he's, he's wanting to say that this approach to righteousness is that it's, it makes God vomit. Now, the reason people won't hear the offense of the gospel is because they Deep in your sin nature, you're rebellious, prideful, self-serving, and you want to establish your own righteousness. You, you, do, do you know why, where, why racial prejudice exists? Do you know why there's cut-down wars in junior highs and high school and they're all posturing for who's the cool and everything like that? It's all part of this. It's all part of what the Bible calls the boastful pride of life. First John tells us not to love the world including the boastful pride of life. A lot of sports is about this. You know, some athletes have no grace anymore. You know, we've lost, as we've gotten more and more of a pagan culture and so forth, uh, you know, I, I don't like to pick on individuals, but some of them really lend themselves well to it. it used to be Muhammad Ali was my illustration for this point because, you know, his whole I'm the greatest. But, you know, Usain Bolt, did you just say that? 
Usain Bolt was who I was thinking of. I mean, it's like, I am the greatest thing that ever happened. You can worship me. Send your tithes and offerings to, you know. Uh, you know, it's just nonsense. I hate to, I hate to admit this in public, but I after I saw a couple interviews of the coach uh, of the Baltimore Ravens, I was... I was very impressed. The guy has a perspective and a humility and, and some integrity about him, which is not that common anymore. I was very impressed with how he carried himself. So uh, that's, anyway, if you're editing, Jordan, let's get that part about the Baltimore Ravens off the, off the CD. If you're, that uh, that's probably not uh, necessary to make our points here. Um, second, uh, grace plus theology is that works plus grace or grace plus works because it uh, leads to favor. It's a very confused mix of the two. And um, it's, it's uh, that, that uh, you know, if I mix works and grace and they must be mixed and, and so forth, and it's kind of a, a not really being that clear and assured about the truths of the gospel, so you're just kind of covering your bases. You understand that you need grace in the sacraments, you in the church, you need, need grace from the Word of God, and from and that that Jesus died for your sins on some level. But it's you. You also like if your bottom line, if someone says, uh, are, "Do you think you'll uh, walk with God eternally when you die?" and so forth, there, it's still uh, well. I hope so. I hope I've done the right number of works to add up to that. Now, sometimes this grows out of a reaction to what we're going to look in in D and in E below. Um, and that's the idea of grace plus uh, as licentiousness. Um, and I should have said grace uh yeah, great C and D below, but we're you know it, it the idea that grace uh, doesn't need any works to follow it, and that that we're going to look at that later in this in this message, maybe next week by the time we get to there, but sometimes people who have this sort of mixture of grace works in the wrong way uh, really are trying to they they haven't studied the scripture as thoroughly as they might might, and they haven't kind of understood this thing about initiative. And on, in the, it's all about God's initiative and God's continuing work and God's continuing fulfillment. And so all glory goes to him. And again, the bottom line for why people don't want grace plus grace is that because in grace plus grace, God gets all the glory. And uh, so now other times, actually, I was, I was correct about D&E below. I forgot my train of thoughts there. The other uh, reason, though, is that some people re have this grace mix because of the scandal of grace. Because the truth of the matter is, real grace is a scandal. Um, I'll pick on Davion because everyone knows how much I love Davion. I could just hug you and kiss you right now. I just love Davion. Um, if, if the scandal of grace is that God is looking at him through the, through the cross of Jesus Christ, through the veil that was torn in two from top to bottom. And he's saying, that guy is the perfection of holiness. Now, I, don't, I didn't talk a lot to Davion this week, but 
I can assure you that that probably wouldn't be Taylor's testimony <laughs> of, uh, of his life, right? All of us could, right? I, I could have picked any person out of the here, of course, and me, you know, you know, like the people always think the pastor is real spiritual and stuff. And then I said, just, well, just ask Mrs. Weiss. <laughs> In either case, you can ask Mrs. Weiss about this, Mr. Weiss, or that was just not, not, you know, uh, you know, one of our, I have all sorts of uh, behind the scenes humor that I wouldn't say in public, but this one's going on the CD. But as a joke around the house, I'm always saying stuff like we're walking around and I'll go, you know, I'm the righteousness of God in Christ Jesus. <laughs> because anyone who knows me knows I'm a worm. <laughs> you know, that's, an amazing, that's a scandal, isn't it? That God would look at Greg or you put in your name and say, through the lens of the cross and go, this person is the righteousness of God in Christ Jesus. Say, say that to yourself sometimes. It's amazing. It's a scandal. Now, the reason a lot of people have this works-grace mixture where they don't want it to be that clearly defined is because God just laying grace on you gives him all the glory and you none of the glory. And people want to hang on to some of the glory. People, people will even list their good deeds to you. They'll list their credentials. Li they'll list, uh, you know, this and that. The, unfortunately, there's a whole lot of posturing that still happens. And it's, it's all worthless before God. Um, got enough time? I'm going to go on to number C. Grace plus works. Now, this is where you start by grace and you grow by works or by performance. Uh, this one we will talk a little bit about today and we'll start with next week because that's how big this is. This is the, uh, the reason it's point C of, of A, B, C, D, and E is it's uh, like on a teeter-totter. This is the fulcrum point. This is why Paul was so upset about the Galatians. Um. This the sum of the subtitles, Oh Foolish Galatians. This is what we all, every single one of us has done this at some point in our Christian life. We God picked us up out of the mud. You know, they often say the difference between the world religions is that this guy's down in this muddy well and and Muhammad, Confucius, all I don't have much time to develop it, so you can pick who you want. Buddha come by and they all just say, look down the well and say, if you had to listen to my teachings, you wouldn't be down there. But Jesus comes by, and he just he gets a ladder, puts it down in the well. He climbs down, gets in the mud with the guy, and then takes him back out. And when he gets up, he washes him off, and he doesn't uh, he doesn't uh, throw him back down or beat him up or anything. He just says, "Come, come on, walk. Just keep going with me." I know how to avoid these wells. <laughs> uh, and if you fall in the well again, I'll come get you again. So um, now in the Galatian letter, and this is probably good because, look, honestly, if you want to get more out of this series, uh, this gives you a, a, a little tidbit. Read Galatians at least once this week, maybe more. Uh there was a time when I struggled with this. You know, I grew up in a very performance-based uh, family, and I grew up in a very performance-based uh, version of Christianity. And so um, I struggled with this. 
and, and I think we actually all struggle with this throughout our Christian life. There was a time when I struggled with this so much that I used to read the Epistle to Galatians every day. Uh, that had lasted for more than a year before I really felt like God set me free from this. Uh, you know, the, the most popular probably of all of Martin Luther's works in the Reformation is his commentary on Galatians. Now, what happens in the, in the Galatians is that it's a crisis. In, uh, Paul is more critical of his audience in this letter, that's a quote from the ESV, than all the other letters. And I guess I, I'll tell you, we'll have to end here in, in a second, but I want you to think about that for a minute. The, you know, the Corinthians, somebody was sleeping with their mother. They were, people were coming to the communion some uh, supper drunk. They were posturing so much that I'm of Apollos, I'm of Cephas, and so forth. There was all kinds of division in the church. Paul is not nearly as concerned with the Corinthians as he is with the Galatians, who started by grace and have switched to performance. And he, Paul is saying, this is a crisis. What we got over in Corinth is a minor irritation, but what we got here is a, is a crisis. And that's the posture of the Galatian letter. No other letter, uh, every other letter of Paul, first of all, all of them he starts with talking about. We're going to read this later next week, but he talks about grace and peace be to you through God the Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. All 13 letters he talks about that, except for one he just says the Father. But always grace and peace be to you through God our Father and our Lord Jesus Christ. Uh, the, every letter he commends them. Philippians 1.6, one of my favorite verses as a, as a young Christian, when I stumbled, that God directed me to that. For, for I am confident that he who began a good work in you will complete it until the day of Christ Jesus. Even to the Corinthians, Paul says, I see all the workings of God's gospel and grace in you. I'm, I'm confident this is going to work, turn out right. In Galatians, he says he doesn't do any of that. He just starts right in and says, oh my goodness, what is going on? You're, you're, uh, you're in trouble here. You've, uh, I'm astonished. By the way, in verse 6, when he starts after the salutation, the first thing he says, I'm astonished. And the, if you look at all the translations, interestingly, NASB, uh, New Living Translation, Amplified, etc., it says amazed, marvel, shocked, surprised. It's a strong word. I'm like freaking out here, to put it in modern English. He would be like, I'm like, wow, I'm pulling my hair out. What's going on here? So we'll pick it up right there next week. Uh, we'll, we'll talk about the Galatians and, and uh, the Galatian crisis, and we'll look at this idea of grace plus works, or starting by grace and then trying to grow. Notice I have that in parentheses because you're not really growing. You're just building back what you had before. Amen.